Brilliant. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick. I'm the head of community outreach, and um, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. We're excited to meet and gather and basically spend a couple of hours in the Shekinah presence of Almighty God. And as we gather to worship this morning, it's really important, I think, that we, we're called to prepare our hearts. We're called to, to prepare our hearts for worship, and not just sung worship, but in community, communing, celebrating Jesus together. It's good to just calm our hearts and prepare ourselves ready to be, to be thrust into his presence. So you're all really welcome here this morning, and it's wonderful to see you. Uh, and I just want us to spend a moment now just um, quieting in our hearts and getting us focused on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that Jesus said was at hand. That means it's with us. It's so close we can touch it, we can feel it. It's not something in the distance. It's not something that's far off. It's not something that is to come. It is something that is here. And it's wonderful and magnificent and mind-blowing. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does that mean for you this morning? What does it mean for you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Heaven is here is one of our church values. And we believe that right now we are in the presence of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean for you right now? Just take a moment to think. kingdom of heaven is here. What do you need this morning from the kingdom of heaven? Do you need an injection of joy? Do you need provision? Do you need peace? Do you need healing? Father, we ask this morning that as we step into your presence, that you would meet us. You promised to do it and you always do. We're just desperate for your presence this morning. We're desperate for it seven days a week, but especially together here, gathered as a family this morning. Would your Holy Spirit just come? Holy Spirit, come. Meet with us, encounter with us, change our lives. Come and have your way. We're going to go straight into a time of sung worship. So why don't we stand? And I just invite us to put our hands out like this in front of us. And get ready to receive from God this morning. As we, as our response to his glory and his goodness is to worship him, he loves pouring out good gifts. It's what he does. He can't help it. He is a good gift giver. It's what he loves to do. It's what he always does. So this is what we teach the kids at Kids Church, but it's good for all of us. Just hold your hands out like you're receiving a good gift. Father knows what you need this morning. Father knows how your morning has been, how your week has been. And a phrase I've heard a lot over the last um, couple of weeks is just remember that Jesus is still on the throne he is still on the throne, no matter how difficult your week has been. No matter how little sleep you've got. No matter how much you've been looking at your bank account and worrying. Jesus is on the throne. 
and he promises to provide for us. And he never lets us down. His promises are yes and amen, and he keeps them all. So as we step into a time of uh, showing God how much we love him, let's our hearts be open to what he wants to do with us this morning. Come and have your way, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all you do. And we just want to spend some time now praising your name. Amen. Well, I have the privilege of reading the word of God to you, which I always love to do. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Um, if you're joining us, my name's James. This is Lou. Uh, we're going to be sharing uh, for a few minutes in a moment. I just want to say, if any of us are here and we're either joining us for the very first time or, or would say that you don't know Jesus in a personal way, now I just want to encourage you. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said these words. He said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Because you can't enter the kingdom if you haven't been born again. And sometimes you can come to a church like this and observe everything going on, but think, how, how do I get that? Or I don't understand it. Well, how you understand ultimately not how this works, but who Jesus is, is you invite him to be born on the inside of your life. And I just want to say to any of us here, that's the most wonderful and incredible thing, but it will cost you all of your life because Jesus doesn't come just as an add-on. He doesn't come as a self-help manual. Jesus comes to be Lord and King of your life. And when he was born 2,000 years ago, he was, he was God showing himself to the world through the person of Jesus when he was incarnated within Mary's tummy and then born as a baby 2,000 years ago. He grew up and he gave his life so that the things that we mess up in life, our wrong attitudes, our wrong priorities, and ultimately our rebellion against God, that, that could be forgiven. And that's why he gave his life on the cross 2,000 years ago. And when he burst from the tomb three days later, evidence that so many people could not deny as a rumor or a conspiracy, when he burst from the tomb, he was showing that even death, something that you and I will face, comes beneath the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And that's why we're happy. And that's why we say, all hail to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's why we say, you are glorious. That's why we say, you've loved us so much. You came to find us. You left 
the 99. He's kind of referring to one of the stories of Jesus. He left heaven to come and restore us back to the Father. I just want to say to you this morning, please do not go home or waste another day. Because no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And in this day and age where everything's on our terms, you need to know that you don't enter the kingdom unless you've been born again. And that could, be, that could happen for you this morning. And it's like an explosion of love going on in the inside of yourself. And it will change you forevermore because eternal life is filling you. But don't go home without opening your heart to Jesus. Should we pray? Father God, thank you that Jesus came to restore us to a relationship with God where we can call Almighty God Father. And we just pray over ourselves, Lord Jesus, be King and Lord of my life. I turn away from my sin. I repent of all the ways that I've just brought dishonor to God. And I say thank you for who you are, that you come into my life to forgive me, to bring me new life from the inside out, and I receive from you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, can you come and see me at the end? Or if you're watching us on, on the live link. It's back to me. Um, what we're going to be doing uh, for about six weeks now is starting a short series on the church. And then in about six weeks' time, we're going to begin a long series going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Luke's Gospel, starting mid-November. And after we've done Luke's Gospel, which is going to take us about a year and a half, we're going to start the book of Acts, which is part two. Because we want to deep dive into who Jesus is, the kingdom that he established, and how that impacts the earth. And we're going to, we're going to study that in detail. But before then, we're going to do a short series starting today called Church Is. And then for the next six weeks, we're going to add to that a description and it's not going to be something theological like church is the body of Christ, which the Bible teaches, or church is the bride of Christ. This is going to be more of a prophetic series. Church is really pushing against some of the messages coming to us in our culture right now. And we want to begin that this morning because what God is doing in the church is so transformative, we want to just capture the vision and glory of what God has placed in the church uh, for a few weeks now. So that's what we're starting. So two books to read alongside the next six weeks. One is called Beautiful Resistance, and it says The Joy of Conviction in a Culture of Compromise. Chunky title, isn't it? So it says things like the church coming back to life. It's about idolatry uh, instead of wor- sorry, worship must resist idolatry. Rest must resist exhaustion, things like that. It's really, really good stuff, so I highly recommend it. I'll leave it out at the end for you to have a look at. I just want to recommend another book. It's called Life on Fire by someone called James Ladderin. If you haven't come across him, he's a young guy. He is uh, a real young prayer leader in our country right now. This is what it says. So I just want to caution you. Who wants a comfortable, boring, apathetic life? Who wants to be on fire for God? Okay. Who feels called to pray God's kingdom into being? Charlie, this is for you, my man. You can have that. 
Who feels called, potentially, you might not have acknowledged it, who feels called to see the church flourish in this day and age? Who's who's potentially going to offer their lives to ministry and leadership in the church? Yeah, that's for you. Okay. All right, so today's talk is a prophetic community. So the church and Christianity has played a very influential role in shaping society over the years. So it's informed law, education, marriage, relationships, family life, and culture. If you look at life about 30 years ago, you will look at British people and their attitudes, their behaviors, their lifestyles wouldn't look too dissimilar to churchgoers. This was about 30 years ago. That's changed now. And I would also suggest uh, 30 years ago, if you think about Sunday trading laws, that reflected the idea of a Sabbath. So you couldn't shop on a Sunday. But now it's totally changed. And we were having a chat with our children and they had no idea about that. And that's just in one generation, the church really is losing its voice in society. The impact of COVID was more than simply a pandemic because the COVID experience has accelerated many trends in culture to the surface. And what we find ourselves now at the end of 2022 is living in a situation which, which is becoming more and more similar to biblical times. What that means is that whereas, as Lou just said, a generation ago, culture and the church was quite similar, we're back to what happened uh, 2,000 years ago and before. Uh, right at the start of COVID, we read the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel in the Old Testament is about the Hebrew people in Babylon. Uh, A a, a tiny presence surrounded by an oppressive totalitarian culture. And what that book in part is about is how, how can you be faithful to God when you're not in charge of the culture? How... How do you live faithfully and not compromise? How do you not hide away and retreat from the world? Who's heard of the exclusive brethren or the Plymouth brethren like this? Their response uh, was to withdraw from culture and society to preserve the sanctity of who they were. How do you not withdraw from the world? Because Jesus said we're meant to be soul and we're meant to be light. We are meant to be in the world but not of it. How do we not get angry and judgmental at the world either and start being superior and pharisaic in our attitudes? But how can we simply live like Daniel, the Hebrews, or maybe even the early church when there were just 120 of them 2,000 years ago and they pushed back against the oppressive Holy Roman Empire, heavily taxed, heavily oppressed, um, not in charge of their land, But because of what God was doing, as they lived faithfully to him, they transformed that in just three short centuries. What does that look like? That looks like being a prophetic community. So what we're not talking about today is about individuals being prophetic or about hearing the voice of God or about how to receive a prophetic word. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is us as a collective body being the voice of God on the earth. And throughout uh, biblical history, God always asked his people to reflect his character and his ways. 
And I think now's the time we must start doing this again. Um, I think also, I was thinking about this during worship. If we see healing on the earth, it's a foretaste of the future coming of the fullness of God's kingdom on earth. So that's how it's a prophetic thing because we, we heal in church, but it's a foretaste of heaven where there's going to be no sickness. When we have um, restoration and forgiveness on this earth, it's a foretaste of heaven where there's no conflict. So that's what we want us to think about, us being a church that is prophetically leaning constantly towards the ways of Jesus, but also ultimately towards what his kingdom is going to come and look like when it comes in fullness. The passage today is really simple. There are two images, salt, which we know brings out flavor, and in their culture was used instead of fridges to preserve things. So we're called not to live in our own little enclave where it's a bit safer. We're called to be present in the world, drawing out the goodness that God has in place, being ones who bring out the flavor, but also ones who are pushing back against darkness. You know, I was talking to somebody who in their workplace um, has been experiencing a gossip culture. So being salt in that place is actually not partnering with gossip, but actually letting our speech be pure. And in, in that place, you, you haven't preserved that work environment from just being bitchy and gossipy and vindictive. The other image uh, Jesus uses is that we're the light of the world, like a city on a hill. And really, when they heard it, they would have thought Jerusalem, which is built on a hill. And the reason they built cities so that they were a place of refuge and safety. People could look over there and say, yep, within the city walls, I can be safe. At night, if you're out in the countryside, you can say, there's a place where there's safety and there's hope. And this is what we are meant to be like. So the challenge with becoming a prophetic church is to resist the most disappointing thing in the world is when the church looks just like its culture. We don't want to be like that, do we? So if we want to be that city on the hill, if we want to be light in the darkness, then how we speak, how we think, how we act, how we love one another, how we do family, everything needs to look different. Because Jesus and his ways are different. Again, I was thinking of um, a way of understanding this is, uh, who watched the funeral last week? Pretty much most of us. And there was a beat going on, wasn't there, as they were walking. And they were in time. Everybody was in time walking to that beat. And what would it look like if us as Christians walked the beat of heaven? And actually, instead of hearing the beat of the world around us, we actually could hear the heartbeat of heaven. We could hear the Holy Spirit's voice. We could hear Jesus every day in every decision-making, whatever we do. And we walked like that to the exact beat of his drum. Wouldn't it be amazing? And I think the way we start to do that is if we ask the Lord to come and convict us all, to come and show us ways where we're living like the world, and to come and shine a light in our own hearts so that we can look and shine like Jesus, so that we can reveal his love, his nature, his character, his ways to the world. So we want to go up a level. 
I don't think any of us here are satisfied with the church being on fire in China, South America, Africa. We live in an individualistic, consumeristic, very, very comfortable Western culture. So we have to have that radar to push back and to live fully for the Lord. So we want to focus on three areas to apply this. Not exclusive areas, because ultimately that we want to walk with the Holy Spirit and ask him to show us what it looks like to serve the Lord all day, every day in our lives. But there are three areas that we felt, particularly now, that our culture is pressing in on us to conform us to be like our culture where God has a different way. The first one is finances. The second one is time. And the third one is relationships. Finances. What has been the news story this summer? Three words. Cost of living. Crisis. Crisis. Four words. <laughs> You know, we've got the energy, the energy crisis going on. We're, we're told about um, the debt we've racked up through COVID and all the furlough. We're told about, um, you know, all, all the world is going in a certain way. We, people are turning off gas lines. Da, 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 da. All this adds up and shouts so loud that it creates a mentality of a fear of lack. And it's just beamed out into our culture and is screaming so loudly at us right now. And what a fear of lack snuffs out is one of the most beautiful fruits of the Spirit, which reflects the character of God in giving Jesus. A fear of lack snuffs out generosity. Because with the cost of living crisis, everyone's like, oh, batten down the hatches, you know, let's... Be very, very measured. Da, da, da. Let's you know, we might not open our doors to hospitality quite as freely or openly. You know, just it drives us in on ourselves just to try and make it through. Now, what I'm not saying is that that's a conspiracy, because gen genuinely bills are rising and there are real challenges here. And what I would say to any of us here, if we're struggling reach out, reach out to any of the staff, reach out through the storehouse. We are here and we're here to help. But, uh, so things have risen in a very material, real way, but the economy of heaven is different to the economy of the earth. Think about Jesus, right? When Jesus was incarnated 2,000 years ago, he was incarnated into Jewish culture, which was occupied by the Romans, heavily taxed, where there's a lot of poverty around. And Jesus came in, burst in, and showed what his kingdom's like. His kingdom is like fish all day over here. Oh no, just throw it over the other side. Oh my goodness, we've got a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus' kingdom looks like 5,000 hungry men and then probably another 10,000 women and children. And what Jesus' economy of heaven looks like, give me a lunchbox and we're going to feed everybody. When the taxes rise and someone says, how on earth are we going to pay it? Jesus goes down to the beach, finds one of those scaly, smelly fish, opens its mouth and finds enough to pay for it. Now, they're not legalistic principles to follow. They're illustrating that there's something different going on. And Jesus taught what that difference is. He taught, you've got a father 
who gives you the most incredible summers and shows you the finery of creation and says, that's how much your father loves you and will provide for you. Because even he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the field. He won't leave you on your own. And so for us, we have to live with a sense of God's provision. Again, recognizing our culture, that's different to a sense of God's entitlement. We're not entitled to four houses, 12 cars, lots of holidays, all of that. He said, I'll give you what you need and you'll be, you know, I even dress the flowers of the field. So we, we resist 21st century selfish entitlement, but we trust in God's gracious, loving provision on our lives. And just a short, well, a few testimonies. I keep hearing financial breakthroughs and even this morning someone was telling me they've been... Um, trusting God for finances, and just recently they've, um, they've been promoted at work, so their salary goes up, work have put all the wages up, and there's just breakthrough coming. September is a brutal month for us in the economy down here, because for some idiotic reason, this is my fault, all our MOTs and services happen this month. <laughs> Should have spaced them out every three months or whatever. Um, and, and yet, we felt the Lord speak to us about giving sacrificially to something. And I thought it was two days, but you corrected me at the nine. Within two hours, the Lord gave us back more than we had given sacrificially. Now, we didn't give sacrificially to say, okay, Lord, you know, we're entitled to you. No, we gave because he spoke and we obeyed. But when we put our lives in God's hands, he does what is true to his nature, the God who provides, and he gave back to us. So how do we live with the tension of living responsibly, knowing that stuff is going up and it's more expensive? Because we're not asking people to be reckless. We're really not. But also with generously and by faith. Because it's not an optional extra in the kingdom to be generous. It's part of who Jesus is and who we're called to be. And the only, um, the only way I can explain of how to do that is the most simplest thing, but sometimes the most difficult thing. And that is we've got to be led by the Spirit. You know, worldly ways right now will not cut it. Like we, we don't know what's coming and we don't know the wisdom that God has. But what we do have is a helper in the Holy Spirit and a guide. And so we need to submit every decision. We need to submit our lives to the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So in the area of finance, we say, right, Holy Spirit, how should I spend my money? Should I give to this? Should I give to that? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? And just let's tune our ear into the voice of God. So then we're not acting on our own wisdom, but on the wisdom of heaven. And ultimately, we'll be way better off if we do that anyway. But I think also, if the Lord asks us to bless others, then let's obey him. And let's trust that he will provide for our needs and he will take care of us because he is true to his word, and that's what the word tells us. So how we're going to be a prophetic community in the area of finance is when the world says, fear, 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 we say, hope and trust in the Lord. When the, when the world says, close your doors, turn off your heating, don't be hospitable, we go, no, 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 we're following Jesus and we're going to welcome people into our homes. We're going to do extra meals to look after those who haven't got it. 
And when the world's saying, store up your treasures because you don't know what's going to happen, we go, I trust in my king and my father, and I'm going to give away to bless those who haven't got. So that's how we're a prophetic community in the area of finances. Should we just pray that in? Or just grab the hand of somebody next to you. Thank you, Lord. Providing isn't something God does, it's who he is. Jehovah Jireh. And we say, as a church, we trust you, Heavenly Father. We place our lives again today in your hands. We resist and repent of all fear, particularly a fear of lack. And we ask that you would as you love to do, that you would provide for us so that we can be a blessing to others, to others in the church and to others who don't know you yet, that we would be open channels of your blessing flowing through, your generosity and your heart to love and to bless. So Father, we set our gaze towards you. This winter, we're excited at how you're going to work that you're going to provide directly, you're going to provide supernaturally, you're going to provide open doors at work, you're going to provide possibilities that we hadn't thought of, you're going to provide through the church community, and you're going to lead us to bless those who are without and are really struggling. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, second area, uh, we're in the resistance army for? Well, let me ask you a question for the second area. Who feels that they've got an abundance in their lives of time? <laughs> yeah, one and two. One and two. Well done. Well done. Well, we need to learn from you because I would say that most people are living with a subliminal sense that they haven't got enough time. That we haven't got an hour, or just I've got too much going on, I'm too busy, I just need to get away from it all, I just need everything to calm down. But the bad news is, in culture, things aren't calming down. They're accelerating in many ways. Now, why is that? Well, do you remember how uh, Lou referenced a few moments ago? Uh, less than 30 years ago, 1994, when we changed the Sunday trading laws. We extracted the Sabbath principle and we replaced it with a way of being that then when technology uh, turned us into the digital age just made us constantly on all the time. We became a 24-7 world connected constantly uh, through being online and we know nearly 30 years later what that creates. It creates tired, tired people it creates tired, tired societies. And wouldn't it be sad if it created a tired, tired church? The ways of the world are be on and be alert in case you either miss out or something bad happens. I remember working um, in a school before I came to Chank. And um, I always remember the vice principal um, saying that she was an addict to BBC News. She'd like constantly, she'd wake up, she'd refresh, refresh, refresh. And I was like, why is that? She was like, I just need to know just in case something's happened. 
Now, the ways of the world are either what am I missing out on or what might happen, and we just live with this constant sense of anxiety. Or we live with this sense of by working hard or being busy, therein lies my identity. And we are going to push back. How do we do that? Sabbath. That's God's way. It's about he created us to Sabbath. He created 24 hours off for us to rest, for us to enjoy one another, and ultimately to enjoy him. God designed it not for him, but for us. And actually, we want to take it back. Because it's good as well, when you Sabbath and you have to switch everything off, you realize that the world can revolve without you and can work without you. And so it takes your focus off yourself and back onto trusting God. But it also gives you an opportunity to just take delight and do something that replenishes your, your soul and brings you joy. So for us, we will take 24 hours off. We will turn our mobiles off. Uh, we tell our children to do the same. And we'll try and do something fun. We'll go walking at the beach, kayaking, um, bike riding, something like that. Something that restores your soul. And then we'll have a, a nice meal together and sit down, longer conversations than we would normally have. And we make a point of resting, taking time out. And I think... Again, that, that helps us to be a prophetic people because if we can learn how to switch off, if we can learn how to rest and take delight in the Lord in a way that he, that's what he created us to do, then we can start teaching the world how to switch off. And, and that's what the world needs right now. You know, I find whenever I just switch my phone off, peace comes over me instantly because you're not looking at it. So I encourage you, just go home and think about how you can Sabbath and how you can lay stuff down for the sake of putting God on the throne and enjoying him and enjoying one another. We, don't, we need to be creative as new covenant people with this. When I say new covenant, I mean recipients of the blood of Jesus. Because, you know, we used to live in London, and if you drive through North London in places like Mill Hill, you'll see... Uh, which is a very Jewish area, you'll see them on a sort of Friday into Saturday, all walking, no cars around. You know, how they do a Shabbat meal, they'll switch off the, electric, uh, switch off the lights so they're not using electricity, light loads of candles. Um, they'll pre-prepare the food so they're not slogging their guts out in the kitchen so they can be present. So we, we just like adopted a few of those principles. You know, if we're having a, a Shabbat meal with the kids, our own version, we'll switch all the lights off and light loads of candles. It's just better. <laughs> it just looks better, doesn't it? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll pre-prepare food so that one of us isn't slogging our guts out before so that we can be present at the, in the conversation. You know, we'll have a, a few readings, share some good news. You know, and we're just coming into that rhythm of it. So we're not giving you, like, do it like this. We're just saying think about it and apply it and... Um, and you'll, you'll reap the benefits. Relationships. It's our final one. One of the, uh, the, yeah, I think, open the newspaper, go onto Twitter, and what you will find is one of the manifestations of broken relationships in our culture today, which is a, just such high levels of judgment and criticism. Because everybody can speak through their smartphones, gone are the days of, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't speak. 
<laughs> Maybe it's just a bad idea to be speaking right now. <laughs> like, it's even better not to think like that, but <laughs> at least keep it in your head. You know, um, there was a row that erupted in the Church of England on Friday, and I could not believe on Twitter some of the things that were being expressed by clergy against other clergy. And I thought, gone are the days of writing a private letter of concern to your bishop or, or going to someone one-to-one. -one. It's now we just put it out there. But what that does is it legitimizes being judgmental and critical, and that's the world we're living in. And we have to just say, that's the air that we're breathing, and we have to invite the Holy Spirit to convict us that our thoughts and our speech may become pleasing in his sight, our rock and our redeemer. Yeah, and I think it's two ways how we resist that. It's number one, allowing the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come on us all and to follow his ways. And I think number two is the verse of whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think only of these things. Um, and because the culture is so judgmental, we, we, you do get impacted by it, but actually let's resist it by filling our hearts and minds and our eyes, you know, think about what we're reading, what we're watching, that we don't fill it with criticism and judgment and that kind of thing, but actually we fill it with good things. And we fill it of, through thinking good things about people and seeing people through Jesus' eyes. And I think if we can all do that as a church, that in itself is hugely prophetic because it is such a grumbly world that we're living in right now. But if we can resist that, then again, it's revealing God's character and his nature to the world around us. I just want to say something also for any of us who listen to prophetic stuff online. Have a radar for when you listen to it, what's the underlying message here? Because I've been listening to some prophetic stuff over the last couple of years, and I haven't heard anybody say what God is doing right now is releasing love through the church into the world. Because it's quite an unglamorous, unsexy, prophetic message. But what I'm hearing a lot of is an undertone of fear, of criticism, of beating the church up. And last time I read my Bible, in the New Covenant, the New Testament, the gift of prophecy was for strengthening encouragement and comfort we're not back in Ezekiel's day <laughs> apparently I'm serious now so just be I just have a radar for it you know and and, and when something is challenged it's got to lead to redemption in Christ and I think just let's just have a radar for me that's just being heavily influenced by the culture we're in it's soulish at this level rather than what the Spirit is releasing. Anyway, <laughs> we could go on about that. Um, so anyway, that's three very simple ways. It's time, relationships, and finances, how we can be a prophetic community. And we just love us all as one church together to go away with the Lord this week and just say, Lord, I'm yours. Have your way in my life and speak to me about ways that I need to just polish up a little bit and get a bit brighter for the sake of the world and for the sake of Jesus' name being lifted high. Amen. Amen. I meant to bring my spade this morning as a visual aid to say, who's going to grab a shovel and start building? So why don't you stand and... Uh, well, did you bring your spade, George? <laughs>
but why don't we, why don't we just, uh, as if we are, I think the times that we're living in require builders. I'm going to prophesy from Ed Sheeran, who said there are two types of people, radiators or drains. <laughs> the times we're living in require radiators who generate and give out and bring blessing. So back to the spade. So just grab your spade in your hand. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would teach us how to build. How to build in the culture we're living with. Living faith, living faithfully for you. We rebuke you, Chili's Bottles. <laughs> shaka, shaka. <laughs> how to build in such a way that we might become the light of the world. And we might be bringers of hope and truth and purity and love and mercy and blessing. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, we all give you permission to speak to us and to show us. And even in these three areas, may you just lead us into every area of our lives to be pursuing you, Lord Jesus, and becoming like you as we gaze into you and welcome you more into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.